first thing I wanna do is highlight two of the main characters in this story. We've been talking about this narrative as it being God's narrative for the past two weeks. This is not uh, the story of Moses primarily. This is not the story of Pharaoh primarily. It's, it's not even our story primarily. This is the narrative of God that's being unfolded across history and we get to play a part in that. And there's some characters in the story that I wanna highlight for us and see how God interacts with them. The two main characters in this story, like the video said, was Moses, this man that God has raised up to deliver Israel, and Pharaoh, the king who is set up against God. So I want to look at the hearts of these two men and unpack how God responds to them. So if you're using one of our Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 to begin. It's on page 27 if you're using a blue Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring one, you can jump up and grab one from the communion tables uh, whenever you want to. Uh, It'll be on page 27, Exodus chapter 3. We briefly looked at this last week, and uh, we're going to jump into it at verse 9 and uh, just kind of look at what's happening. We're going to look at the burning bush story all the way through the end of the plagues today. So we're going to start here at the burning bush. God has appeared to Moses on an ordinary day in the middle of his shepherding lifestyle, and God interacts with Moses and uh, says this to him. Verse 9 says, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, pay attention to this question, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And last week, We briefly looked at this passage and how Moses is called by God, personally called by God to uh, participate in the unveiling and the fulfillment of this communal promise that God has made to Abraham. And um, I love uh, Moses in this story. If we were to keep reading, uh, you would see that Moses is afraid Uh, Moses is fearful. He is very in tune with his own insecurities and his own inadequacies. And I love the question that he asks. He asks, who am I? Uh, there's this idea or, or this, uh, this humility that Moses kind of has, but um, it's really not true humility because he just kind of keeps making excuses uh, to God. He's like, okay, I, I can't speak well. Um, they're not going to believe me. Uh, the people of Israel don't like me because I was Egyptian. And God, God begins to enter into this conversation with Moses and provide some things for Moses to think about. And I love that... Um, Moses doesn't just see himself as the man for the job, right? God doesn't come to him and say, Moses, behold, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to deliver my people. And Moses doesn't go, oh, yeah, duh, like this makes total sense. I'm your man. Let's do this thing. Let's get rolling. Like Moses does not do this. There's this aspect of Moses' heart that realizes his insignificance, his smallness, his inadequacies. And um, this just... Uh, helps me resonate and helps me connect with Moses. I, I love Moses in this moment because he's so human. I don't know if you've ever felt inadequate before, um, but I think all of us can resonate with this. Um, God putting this big picture on the life of Moses and Moses is just uncomfortable with some of the implications that that will mean for his life. And the key here is that Moses uh, came to God with his questions. Uh, that the heart of Moses was at least willing to express his fears and his worries and in his ad- inadequacies. And God meets him there. God encounters him there in a special way. 
We don't have to go, we don't have time to go into some of the rich details of these questions and how we could uh, learn some things from it. I'm going to try and write a blog this week. If you want to follow our uh, Twitter account, ethos underscore HV, we're going to be putting out lots of resources over the next few weeks to like, kind of dive down deeper on ways that we can't um, uh, really study on Sunday. So uh, follow us there if you want some more resources on the burning bush scene. So we get this picture of Moses in chapter three, this man who is humble, uh, yet scared and fearful and insecure before God, but willing to be used. And then we're gonna get this picture of another man uh, who responds to God in a very different way. I want you to jump over to chapter five, turn the page with me to chapter five, verse one. We're gonna look at Pharaoh and uh, God, or Pharaoh's response to the words of God. And we're gonna spend a little bit more time on the story and the life of Pharaoh because it's a little more difficult to understand. So we're going to start in verse one and go through verse nine. Chapter five, verse one. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went, with, uh, went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, listen to this question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall on us with pestilence or with the sword. Verse four, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters to the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You should by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Verse nine, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So I want you to see the contrast here between the heart of Moses and his response to the word of the Lord and the heart of Pharaoh and his response to the word of God. Moses, uh, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh goes um, to, um, Moses goes to Pharaoh and and, and kind of lays out the, the desires of God. Hey, let my people go. This is what God desires for the people of Israel. And Pharaoh's question is not who am I, but who is God? Um, who is the Lord? He uses the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. Who is, who is Yahweh that I should listen to this God? I don't know Yahweh and I don't care and I will not let the people go. And ultimately the plagues from here on out for the next seven chapters are going to be God's response to that question. Who is Yahweh? God's gonna show him. God's gonna begin unfolding some of the power, some of the reality of who, act, who God actually is. And like the video said in the, in the first five plagues, Uh, Pharaoh brings his own stubbornness, his own pride, his own anger and hard-heartedness to the table. He refuses to acknowledge Yahweh. And it it baffled me in the story. I'd never really seen this before, how not only does he not listen to God, but he increases the oppression to the people. Can can you see the wickedness here? I mean, think about if you were a teacher. Any teachers in the room? We've got a few teachers. Think about if a parent came to you and said, hey, um, my, my son, his name is Aaron, and he came home yesterday. He didn't eat lunch. Um, he had a black eye, his clothes were kind of torn. I, I think he's being bullied. Can you, can you watch out for him uh, in the future, kind of take care of this? It would be like you as the teacher standing up before the class the next day and saying, all right, class, it seems as though we have a bullying problem. Um, Aaron is being bullied, and I just want to let you know, I am all for it. 
Um, let's increase the heat today. Like whatever you got to do, like, like kick his, you know, whatever. And, you know, take his lunch, uh, be mean to him on the playground, break his pencils. Some of you are having flashbacks. I'm really sorry about that. But it, it's like, you know, can you imagine if a teacher did that? We'd be like, you're a psycho. No person would encourage this and increase this at the thought of a child being bullied like this. And th- this is the wickedness of Pharaoh, to not only like, not acknowledge God, but to um, act in defiance toward God. God asks for uh, the people to be delivered, and Pharaoh responds with his own demonstration of power. Okay, I'll increase the oppression. I'll show God who has the power here. I don't want to go back and summarize everything, but progressively the plagues get worse. They increase in their scope and their consequence for the people of Egypt. They begin harmless with like flies and that's kind of coming in. And then it increases towards the health and the livestock and the livelihood of the people of Egypt. And um, uh, like we saw in the video, each one of these plagues is going to dismantle uh, the power of one of the Egyptian gods in their culture. And we see how deep the pride and the cruelty and the defiance of Pharaoh's heart goes because he doesn't just um, issue the killing and the genocide of the Hebrew children, but he disregards the well-being of his own people. He watches as his own people are, uh, uh, they lose their livelihood with their livestock and their crops and even their health, and he just stands idly by. He, he doesn't even care about his own people. And there's a moment in chapter nine, after the fifth plague, when God reveals something really important to us uh, about his purposes throughout this whole narrative of the plagues. And in chapter nine, verse 15, I'll just read it for you. This is what God says. It says, by now I could have put my hand out and struck you and your people and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up that I might show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Yet you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. And we see here, the key idea for us to hold on to is God is interested in more than just Israel being delivered from slavery. He said, I I could have done this with a snap of my fingers. I could have wiped this whole nation from the face of the earth and let let the people of Israel go. He has a deeper purpose here. And that purpose is for Pharaoh and the surrounding nations to see a demonstration, to recognize God as truly God. This is what the plagues are for. There's a deeper purpose here. And God knew that Pharaoh would not listen. And there's all these opportunities for him to turn and repent and and, uh, acknowledge God, but he does not. And um, like the video said, there's a moment after the fifth plague where God enters into the story and begins to actively um, harden, or maybe a better word is to strengthen the will in the heart of Pharaoh. And it goes back and forth from there. Pharaoh hardening his heart, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. I love the, the language that the video used. Um, God bends uh, the evil of Pharaoh towards God's own redemptive purposes. Now, this, this is a centuries-old debate here, and uh, I'm not going to solve it in the next 30 seconds. Um, even some of me, even me and some of the other guys on the preaching team who are preaching at other campuses today, Ethos, disagree about some of the nuance here. This is a complex passage Um, Briefly though, here's what I want you to remember. If you remember anything about this part of the story, it's this. God did not take a soft-hearted, kind individual and turn him wicked. It's not what God did. Um, He did not callous a tender heart. We have seen from the outset how wicked and evil and hard-hearted Pharaoh is, how arrogant Pharaoh is, and he does not come to the table innocent. And many people argue that what happens here, it's like, it's unfair that God would take away some of the ability for Pharaoh to respond in repentance. 
And the nuance here is all about how God is reinforcing or strengthening or hardening Pharaoh's will in such a way to work towards God's purposes. And it's this picture. God does not leave uh, his promises, the fulfillment of his promises up to chance. He's very clear. I'm going to accomplish my will through these people. And Pharaoh's hardened heart uh, results in the uh, delivery of God's people, the fulfillment of God's purposes rather than the oppression um, and the genocide of the Hebrew people. I think it's extremely complex. There's an element of paradox here of both and, um, and I can't figure it out for us today. If you want some more resources, I'm happy to point you that direction if that really gets your gears going. And we'll have to just kind of leave it there for a moment. But it all culminates in this last plague where the firstborn of all the people of Israel are, are killed except for those with the blood of the, the lamb. The video explained that. And Pharaoh, out of his brokenness, out of his grief, decides to let the people go. And through all of this, God was seeking primarily to reveal himself to Pharaoh, to have Pharaoh and the Egyptians acknowledge Yahweh as God and for the delivery of his people, the fulfillment of his promise. And this is where we'll end the story this week. We'll pick it up next time at the Red Sea. So I need to be honest with you. Um, maybe that's not what you're used to at church. Maybe you're used to the pastor getting up here and just being like, all right, this is great. You know, super easy to understand, super easy to apply. You know, like just pull some things out and, you know, what does this mean for my job tomorrow? Um, that's just not what I'm going to do. I, that's not how I roll. That's not um, really how I see this. This story is difficult for me. I don't know if you ever feel that when you read the Bible. You're like, man, I struggle with the harshness of some of these plagues. It's like, what did this mean for the Egyptian moms? It's hard for me to co comprehend why God would do this. I mean, I'll say the question that some of you might be thinking. It's like, okay, God is angry with Pharaoh for the killing of the, the, the Israelite children, and now God's going to do that to, to Pharaoh? Like, how, is, how does that work? And it's like, these are hard questions. How does God interact with the heart of Pharaoh in such a way that it doesn't like remove his free will? And there's all these complex, difficult questions. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I, I'm not afraid of those questions. And I think it's good for us to acknowledge them, like in this setting. We're not, I'm not going to stand up here and make some like cheesy, allegorical, straight lines, like what does the hardening of Pharaoh's heart mean for your job tomorrow? Like, I can't do that. Um, and, and I don't think it's right to try and do that. Um, but I, I want to say to you, it's healthy to acknowledge that it's hard to struggle with the, the, the justice of God sometimes in the Bible. There is healthy biblical precedent for that from many people throughout the scriptures. Uh, if, you, if you read the Psalms, it's all over the Psalms. People not understanding why God is doing what God is doing. If you, if you read the book of Job, like the whole book of Job, it's just Job struggling with the justice of God, why things would happen, and, and God responding to that, those questions. Um, I think the important thing for us is to bring our questions to God, honestly and authentically, like Moses does. So if you remember how Moses responded to the call of God, to the character of God being revealed, he, he came with his questions, he came with his misunderstandings, um, and God met him there. God encountered him there. Uh, and that's very different from how Pharaoh responded. So what I'm going to do is, is just kind of give my best shot at giving us a few things we can take away from this and things that we can see about God. And like my goal here is not to learn information. I'm not trying to teach a lecture here. I want you to see God, a living God, for who God is in the scriptures. And I want that to like move us to worship. Okay, so please um, think through that lens because I think the lens that we use to see this story is so important. 
Think about lenses, like if I had red colored glasses, red tinted glasses, and I kind of went throughout my day, everything would look red, right? Um, things that would look red, honestly, would probably disappear a little bit. Things that look blue tend to look black, and everything gets distorted. And uh, we do this in our lives as we approach a lot of things, right? We, ha- we have lenses, preconceived notions and biases that we approach all sorts of things about our life. And so I, I want us to acknowledge our, our lens, and I want us to use uh, maybe the correct lens to view this story. Because if we take the lens of maybe learning information about God, uh, we're not going to encounter God here. Um, I was thinking about just the age of enlightenment that our, our culture and our country was founded on. Uh, this enlightenment ideal that is um, the way that you find out truth is to reason and use your logic. It's not from external sources. That's what our country was founded in. That's like the culture that our country was founded in. And it's kind of screwed us up in some ways today because then we approach a lot of situations, whether it's a text or a situation, and we think that we can act as the judge above whatever situation is out there. And that we, by our own reason and logic, can, can uh, rightly determine what is right or what is just and what is good. This, this is not a textbook that we approach and think, okay, I need to read some things, I need to learn some things so I can use it for my purposes, to write the paper or to do whatever it is. You, you connect analytically or critically with a textbook. Um, and there's space for that with the scripture sometimes, but primarily we're after connecting with a relational being here, a relational God that wants to transform our hearts. And that's, that's the lens, that's the um, perspective that we wanna approach this story through. So I'm gonna deal with just a couple ideas really quick, Um, just a couple big takeaways that I think we can learn from the text. Uh, And again, my hope is that we can see God and that we can connect with the heart of God here. So um, the first one, uh, if you're taking notes, is that God is sovereign. I think that's the big takeaway from this story. If you're studying the plague narrative and God's interaction with Pharaoh for the delivery of his people, Um, There's almost no way to come away from this passage and and not see God as 100% in control and 100% sovereign over his purposes and over his creation. And we in our 21st century minds do not like that. Uh, We want to put God on trial. We want to stand as the judge, put God on the stand and say, that's not right for you to do that. Um, It's not fair for you to do that. I don't think, God, you should be that way. So I'm going to modify some things about what I see. Um, the problem is that like we are created beings. Like if you think about it, we got like a hundred years if we're lucky <laughs> and like we're flawed beings at that. We don't even understand how our sin and our, um, all of our biases taint our ability to grasp and describe an infinite and perfect holy being. Like <laughs> you see the arrogance that we can have in our culture to think me and my finite flawed being can perfectly understand the person of God. So um, I think this story uh, gently puts us in our place to think, okay, there's an aspect of reading this that we should leave and say, okay, I I am not in control. Um, I am not sovereign. I do not understand. God, your ways are higher. God, your ways are bigger. Your thoughts are higher. I I don't understand how you work. And I think, that's a, I think that's a big takeaway that we have to wrestle with and it's not fun and it's not good and it doesn't like make you feel good as you leave this place. But like, it's a good thing that God is sovereign. It's a good thing that he is in control. And when we approach these texts about God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart or God's uh, I- I- inflicting judgment on an evil and wicked nation, we have to do so with the lens of our limitations. 
and God's sovereignty. But it's not just that God is sovereign. And this is, this is the good news. This is where we'll end. It's not just that God is in control and transcendent and like huge and big and powerful. That's not where it ends. It's also that God is good. And this is where we'll see the correct lens to view this story. If we take a wider lens, if we see the full narrative, so to speak, the overwhelming testimony of the scriptures is that God is good and compassionate and merciful and perfectly loving to his creation. And somehow all of that God is, all that God does in the scriptures fits into that broader description in some way, even if we don't understand how. Because think about what God does with his power. And think about the contrast to Pharaoh and what he does with his power. Pharaoh inflicts oppression and slavery and evil. And what does God do with his power and his sovereignty? He delivers. He works towards the redemption of people. He deals with evil because he's just and holy. And he does not leave it on the wayside and say, okay, evil and sin, that's not important. Like God deals with it. He punishes evil and he works towards the redemption of his people. He is good. And we talked at length last week about how this whole narrative, the whole story of Moses and the Exodus is pointing to the culmination, the crescendo of all of this is Jesus. And that's the lens that we view this story through. We view God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart and the firstborn plague through the lens of God's goodness in the cross. That God was not uh, just uh, inflicting judgment on a nation, but that he would put judgment upon himself, that he would take the punishment himself that he would kill his own firstborn son so that we would be made right with God. This is the perfect display of God's goodness in the cross. And all of it is pointing towards God's uh, constant character of delivering people that are enslaved, of dealing with evil as a perfect God and working towards the redemption of his people. I love that this narrative just proclaims in a loud voice, God provided a way. God provided a way. Just like the spotless lamb in the Passover for the Israelites, so Jesus, what the New Testament calls the new spotless lamb, um, is our Passover. God uh, looks at us, sees the blood of Jesus on us, and passes over and gives us new life. And Jesus works towards our delivery so that we may dwell with him, just like the Israelites. That's what this whole series is about. We are delivered so that we may know God. It's not just delivery from sin so that we can go and live off however we want. It's delivered so that we may dwell in the presence and the goodness and the life in God, just like we were created to. This is what the book of Exodus, the narrative of Exodus is going to proclaim to us in a loud voice. How good is it that God does not sit uninvolved while sin and evil wreak havoc on his creation? How good is it that God is sovereign and in control, but good and loving and all of it fits in together. He delivers us so that we may dwell with him. This has been his purpose. And um, I'm going to ask the band to, to come, back, come on up. And um, my, my only goal for us right now is to worship. I do not have a pretty bow to wrap on this sermon and give you three, three like little things you can try this week. It's like sometimes the only point of this book is for us to gaze upon the marvelous picture of God and his uh, amazing narrative that he is working towards the redemption of his people. And just look, just come and see. It's not always a go and do. It's just come and see who God is. And would that move us to praise? Would that move us to worship? So in just a moment, we're going to get up and we're going to go to the communion tables. And just like the Passover, this ritual of Passover that the video talked about was a sign over and over and over for the people of Israel. Look where God delivered you. 
Remember, God passed over. God created a way for you to be delivered out of your slavery in Egypt. God has given us the picture of communion for us to remember over and over and over and over again. Look where God delivered you out of your slavery, out of your sin. He is here to like deliver you and redeem you so that you may dwell in his presence, to know his goodness, to know his fullness. This is why we take communion every week, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, to dwell on it, to remember who God is and worship. So um, the band is, is gonna lead us in uh, a few more songs. They're gonna play a little bit. And if, if you just wanna stand and worship and take communion and remember, that's great. If you wanna go outside and you wanna talk or process with someone you came with and say, hey man, this is where my heart is resonating with this text. And this is what God was teaching me. Do that, you, you're totally free. If you, if you wanna say, man, my heart was resisting some things in this text, um, process that with some people. But would this be a time of us gazing upon the like just unbelievable, unfathomable way that God is out for the redemption of his people, for the delivery of his people out of slavery? And would we worship that God for who he is? Let me pray for us. I really believe that it is good for us that you are in control. It is good for us that you are sovereign. And I'm so thankful that you do not use that sovereignty uh, for anything other than to just display your love to us. Uh, you use your sovereignty and your power uh, to bring about delivery, uh, to deal with evil, and to bring us into a place where we can experience you as, were we, as we were created to. God, would you help us to acknowledge our limitations today as we bring our questions and our doubts and our worries and our insecurities before you? Would you help us see you for who you truly are? Not some God that we've created in our minds that we like that's nice and easy uh, and easy to comprehend, but God, as you truly are, would you help us see you? And with that picture of, of you, uh, move us to respond like Moses. Who, who am I? you would use me, God. I'm, I'm worried, I'm fearful, I'm insecure, God, but would you use my life for your purposes? Would you help me join in on what you're doing? Help us, God, today as we worship, as we remember Jesus today. We love you. We ask this for your beautiful name.